Hey, it's Geraldine again. Can you believe it? It is already Christmas for the second time in the history of the Bang on the Strillers podcast. So what better way to celebrate Christmas than by dragging ourselves back into the past, much as we feel is the case every time we go back to visit our families. Yes, I'm going to give you part two of Gillian Cosgriff's conversation with me, which took place, I believe, around January 2016 or possibly even November 2015. It's what we like to call the uh, the Angry Internet Book Club, and you find out that both Gillian and myself are voracious readers who don't have time to read voraciously anymore. A quick thank you to everybody who came to the album launch of the last gig in Melbourne, and for everyone who couldn't come and bought the album. For everybody else, you can buy it. It is on my website, www.geraldinequinn.com. Please buy it because my father is yelling at me about how much stuff I have and he doesn't realise that a good eighth of my belongings are unsold merchandise. So you'd be you'd be helping my relationship with my dad as well as contributing some uh, pretty awesome musicians into your life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also um, a big thank you to anybody who's already booked for the Comedy Festival show. Um, uh, that's just the one person. So so if you want to book for the Comedy Festival show, I'm doing Fox Ponsing at the Malthouse Theatre. You can go to malthousetheatre.com.au and until the 9th of January 2017, you get $18 early bird tickets. That's cheaper than almost every other show I've seen advertising early bird tickets, including some, well, I'm not going to mention venues, but some smaller venues. So $18 until the 9th of January for Fox Ponsing. That's at uh, www.multastheatre.com.au. And I will also be doing a very limited season of sunglasses at night during Comedy Festival. Uh, So look out for that one. But... um, Buy, buy tickets to Fox Ponsing. I've, I've only done three shows and it has a band. So it's, uh, you know, you know you know the drill. If you listen to this, you know the drill. And if you can't afford it, tell someone else to go, guys. I hear there are people out there with jobs. Anyway, this might be the only one I get out for December uh, unless I dig up some other old recordings. So enjoy, enjoy, uh, have a Christmas if that's your thing. If it's not your thing, do what I do and... Uh, Watch The Shining. It's my favourite Christmas movie. Hey there, cats and kittens, and welcome to episode 22 of Bang on the Strillers, the cabaret and all glittery sundries podcast. Well, in this episode, I'm speaking to the wonderful Gillian Cosgrove. I've spoken to her before. This is actually the same conversation. It's just taken me about a year to finally edit episode two. In this episode, we talk about a countless number of writers. We're both massive book nerds, and this was around the time that she was writing her acclaimed and award-nominated show, To the Moon and Back. We also discuss robots, gravity, Christoph Waltz, and being a master procrastinator. It should also be added that while we were recording this, I was having an online Facebook argument with someone about Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. And that ended well. Jesus. You know, when I was 16, I said to myself, I love the way that your brain goes. And I don't know why we don't do it more often when we're adults. I think when we're kids and we're trying to work out who we are, we do it more, which is going, I've decided to do this thing because I need to improve myself Mm. or because I need to um, 
like we were talking about reading uh, Gone with the Wind or whatever, like I feel like I should have seen this film or read mm. that book. And my friend Renee and I were very big film buffs. So we were, you know, 14, 15 years old going, well, we haven't seen Lawrence, Casablanca, of, Ar- yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, Casablanca, yeah. Maltese Falcon, should have seen these things. So we would make those efforts. Yeah. So we ended up quite well-rounded with that sort of stuff. And so when I was 16 with books, I decided to read a book a week. Mm. And I... I mean, that's when I read Schopenhauer. Mm. I was 16 reading Schopenhauer. Now, he didn't like women very much, but no one's writing articles about him. <laughs> um, he didn't have cool sunglasses on his front cover. Uh, that's why. But he wasn't on the 80 books yeah. men must read list. Oh, um, and do you know what? Maybe that should be what's happening. Maybe why are we why are we sharpening our scimitars for the? Um, or was that was that me doing some sort of cultural appropriation when I said oh, I scimitars? I thought you were just doing then. smart alliteration. I was impressed with you. Sharpening our swords, our swords. I've heard people pronounce it swords. People are idiots. Uh, sharpening our swords mm. um, against novels when we could be looking at even like philosophers and mm. sort of saying. I know that that. Uh, oh yeah, I know. I've just I've actually just argued myself out of my own argument. But no, in this my is head. really interesting, and it is interesting <laughs> how you do that as a kid because I used to read, I used to read so many books. Like my dad would take all four, sometimes all five of us, but four of us. Mm. We would we have one of those big like plastic tubs. We would take our plastic tub. We would go to the library every Saturday morning. Yeah, And we were all allowed to get 12 books and we would put them in the thing. And because it was the same plastic tub as the ones the library used, sometimes other kids would come and take our books out and we'd be like, that's my book. Oh. It was both like (laughs) just the weirdest, most territorial thing. But because you're so – sometimes you're quite limited in, you know, like a suburban library, I read all of the young adult books and then I started reading, you know, kind of – and it's the thing that's really interesting in that article where she talks about the great thing about um, art and books in particular is that in a book you place yourself in the position of the narrator. So you live all these different lives, you live all these different perspectives and you see things differently. And when I was younger because I just had to read what was available, and my or, family has a lot of books. And, yeah. yeah, sometimes. But it's much easier to put yourself in different shoes. Whereas now if I look at even everything that's on my bedside table that's half read. <sighs> It's all, you know, I'm reading Mindy Kaling's book and I'm reading, you know, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Lena Dunham. And it's great. And that's also sort of as work. But these are all mostly white middle class women that do the job that I aspire to do. That's right. So I'm not in a position. So I'm trying to get out of that. But it is also that thing of like I have limited time. I want to read something that I'm going to enjoy. So we stop feeling like I should and maybe this is just me. Maybe other people are much more well-rounded and more disciplined. I have no doubt about that. No, but that. that's what I was saying. You do get mm. to. You, I still feel like I should. I should have read this. I should be trying mm. to. I mean, I still feel like I should. I, uh, I should try to address things I may have avoid, mm. um, uh, and I shouldn't drop something because it's tricky. Because if I could have done that for the entirety of my undergraduate degree, I never would have finished a third of the books. Mm. Sometimes you just had to go, oh, I'm going to finish this. So like we had to do The Vivisectionist by Patrick White. Now I have no doubt that Patrick White is is one of the – one of the most skilled writers that Australia has ever produced. I don't like him Mm. and that's okay. That's okay. I'm not saying no one's ever no one ever read him. Let's face it, a vast majority of people probably don't. Mm. Not the sort of people that are reading articles like 80 Books a Man should read. They probably haven't even heard of Patrick White. Mm. But I don't like him. 
And that's fine. Mm. I'm not going to say no one ever read this book because I can still see there's a lot that's uh, – there's so many elements. There's the structure. There's the execution of it. There's the philosophy of it. There's the politics of its time. There's so much that's – is how much has the author's intention got anything to do with the, mm. the reading of it? Um how much has the audience's reception got anything to do with the, the reading of it? And they're all really valid questions, but it's a lot of questions. Yeah. It's a lot of questions and that's fine. It's fine so long as then you fill out your knowledge with other things and other perspectives. You know, like for me, I, I remember when I was at uni in first year. Um, what did you study? Our, I studied, I have a Bachelor of Music Theatre. Oh, um, my God. Okay. <laughs> it's really helpful to use it as a coaster. Or, yeah, well, um, <laughs> well, because professional writing and literature has got me so far. Yeah, we have a... <laughs> Successful and independently wealthy. Let <laughs> um, you get work in some yeah. kind of music theatre. I did theater. actually my degree. Well, only sometimes. Um, <laughs> no, it was really, it was really, really good. It's just not the kind of, you know, it's not the kind of degree that goes. Oh, you have this. This is your job. Here, do the yeah. job. Yeah, yeah. But um, in in first year, our acting teacher gave us a list of a uh, hundred plays that everyone should read, and right. me and another boy in my year decided we were going to read them all. And I knew that he was never going to read them all, but because I am wildly competitive, yeah. And I didn't read all hundred, but I got through a lot of them, mm. and a lot of them out of feeling like I just had to. But then I listened to. Uh, another podcast a couple of months ago with a girl who did the acting course at WAPA. So the acting course and music theatre course are sort of run parallel to each other. Yeah. And um, she had been there a few years before me and that she had been given probably the same list. Mm. And she was talking about it and she said that when she got the list, she said to her teacher, she's like, hey, it's just that nearly every playwright on this list is a white man. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just wondering whether, you know, maybe it might be time to revise this list and to look at it. And she got told in, you know, sort of no uncertain terms, like, why are you making this an issue? Just these are the these are plays that we suggest you read for structure, for form, for understanding the ways that movements changed. And, you know, this is a classic and this is a, um, you know, this is a verbatim play, all that kind of stuff. And that was the thing where she was basically told, you're making an issue where there does not need to be an issue. We're telling you to do this, which is something that I... I found every now and then that things would be presented to you sometimes as be, and I understand that drama school students are the worst. Like you know, yeah. everyone, and especially the, maybe we've, we've, my, my generation, where it's like, <laughs> but my opinion is that it's pronounced swords. Where it's like, well, your opinion is wrong. <laughs> like I'm sorry, but <laughs> your your opinion is not a fact just because you would like it to be. Yeah. But there is this weird thing of you know we would be presented with a class that was an open dialogue, which was sometimes great, but things like um you have to do a comedy piece in second year. And we all got sort of fairly harshly, no, it was for cabaret maybe, harshly critiqued about it. And um, my my acting teacher, who was great at a lot of things, said to me when it came to my critique, and I did really well at cabaret, it was where I was like, oh, I'm going to be good at this. I'd really like to do this. And he was like, Jill, um, how did you feel like you went? And I was like, yeah, I was pretty happy. You know, it was pretty, um, I wrote this song for this segment. And, you know, I was kind of happy with the sort of jokes and the, the powder that I wrote. And he was like, did you know you said, um, 17 times? Yeah. And I was like, did you, you actually sat there for my 10 minutes and that's what you did is you counted how many times I said that. Firstly, this seems a little bit petty to me, but I'm willing to discuss it with you. And the critique of almost everyone was that it was like, you haven't, you haven't scripted this. You haven't rehearsed this. It seemed very informal. And I tried to raise a point where I was like, do you think that there's a generational gap between 
the staff and the students in terms of the type of comedy that we're watching, the type of um, television that we're watching where it is very relatable and personable, where I'm not, you know, I'm not Bob Hope. I'm not going to stand up here and just crack wise at you because that's not what I know. And the feedback that I was given was, well, I've told you what we think, so... And it's hard because when I relive that, I'm like, that was unfair, but maybe I was being, you know, maybe I, I was being you, snotty and obnoxious, but I, I don't think, think I was. No, I think you both <laughs> had a point. If you said, um, 17 times in this podcast, I would struggle to edit it. <laughs> frankly. Well, I guess you'll find out. <laughs> I noticed that I don't like silences, so I have to be really careful the more radio I've done at landing the ends of my sentences mm-hmm. and not making a noise to get attention and then formulating the sentence. <laughs> Which I do. Right. Not any noise. I don't just what go. Noise? I was gonna say. Yeah. Like I just sort of I do a bit of ah, oh, and then I go. <laughs> I haven't quite worked out this thing, yet. <laughs> but I'll figure it out. But on the, un- on the other hand, it does sound like that person was expecting something that that was different to what you, as you said, your your um influences and the style of delivery that comes from that mm. would dictate, which is, again, I think very good point of yours. So I'm on the fence. <laughs> but, we, but we're stuck in this thing, I think. No, I'm so worried. I'm going to say, oh, I just can't stop thinking about it. Um, you there do, she you is. Did, oh, there she is. You don't, do, you don't do heaps, though. Where, well, now this is all anyone's going to listen for. It's been 35 times. Yeah, great. You've got a little tally next to you. I haven't. I haven't. Where... <laughs> <laughs> It's either, you know, we get told that this, um, everyone has an opinion now, everyone's very opinionated, everyone's told that they're special and that's why we're so entitled and all these things. But then you're also coming up against people that don't want to change and they don't want to rewrite their list of 100 plays written by straight white men. Well, the issue with that is, gosh, I hope this is interesting. This is so, this is the drama students episode of the podcast. (laughs) I didn't think it was going to be like this. <laughs> no, I thought it was going to be like, here's a weird story about fishnet stockings. We'll talk about that in a yeah, minute great. before you go so we it's make sure so we many. break it up. Yeah, but, good. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's it's kind of a question of, yeah, you're right, this has become a very academic episode. Yeah. <laughs> you should have had like a gin before I started so and it would be an entirely different story altogether. Okay. This is, look, we've got the brave little toaster. <laughs> But when you're talking about looking at things for structure, all mm. right, I, I did I did innovations in literature was one of my topics. Yeah. So we were looking at when people started to do stuff that was different. Yeah, sure. Uh, and they're often going to be white males yeah, because, because that was they're you know, allowed to do stuff. They were they were allowed to do stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But they weren't only. Mm. You know, that's why we're very proud of you. Know, we've got a Jane the Jane Austens of the world yeah. in those lists. Um, but nowadays, it sounds like the person that gave you that list could have looked at it and gone is there a female playwright that I can use as an example for this and just didn't? Yeah. Now, I think that they should use I mean, a good example. Of course, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have Shakespeare and you've got to have Chekhov and you've got to have all these... Ibsen and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Beckett or, yeah. But, yeah, I think it's irresponsible not to at least look at ways to revise that list. I mean, we had Carol Churchill. I was going to say, was there any Carol Churchill? Of course there was. Um, Dorothy Hewitt? Maybe. No. Maybe. But I'm probably going to go uh, home and find Alma this list Grun. and suddenly feel really bad about it. <laughs> Rivers of China, Alma no, de Grun? No, definitely not. Um, Joanna Murray-Smith nowadays. But, oh, of course. Know. Big time. Um, there you go, guys. We just, we we just reeled off four female. <laughs> God, dear. Yeah, right. This is going to be compulsory listening for drama oh, students. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> you better share just it. don't you sleep be- with too many of your classmates. You That's have- the real advice yes. for drama school. Transition. I've got a crazy fishnet story. 
I don't even have one. I'm just bluffing. Oh, no. <laughs> no, nah, I'm trying to think. I do. What is it? Are you going to tell me? You're just going to leave me hanging? Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm quite an emotional person. And I live alone and um, I've been better and I've been worse. But at the mm. moment I've been much worse. And not long after I moved in here, and I think I'd just been uh, dumped as well, and and by somebody who asked me like two weeks in, what, what would you do if you got pregnant? So that was the kind of calibre of man we were talking about there. Oh, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, they're good good creatures. And <laughs> sorry, guys, I, it's, I love half of you. Oh, gosh, I'm going to shut up now. But anyway. <laughs> Every time, yeah, I'm doing that thing where you go, oh, I didn't mean you. <laughs> I hate parents. Oh, I didn't mean you. <laughs> oh, God, kids are annoying. Oh, not your kids. <laughs> so um, anyway, I was vacuuming and I had left a pair of fishnets lying around just because, as you know, you're often carrying a bunch of shit around. For me, it's often Just so many just costumes, small bags. Bits and pieces. Just full of bits. You dump them in the lounge room. Yeah, they just, yeah. And that's what had happened. I got obviously got out of the costume, chucked it in the bag, got home and just dumped it in the lounge room and yep. just opened up to get something else out and they were lying around. I vacuumed up my, my fishnets. And my fishnets are $30 fishnets. They're, Fancy. they're mid-range. <laughs> yep. The expensive ones are 60 Yeah, they are. Um, so, and I, was, I went, I must be able to just pull this out, surely, because I got them halfway. So there's like a foot hanging out. And I sat in, in this section of my house where I'm currently sitting on the floor <laughs> crying. Oh, trying no. to pull Because they're really oh. stretchy. Trying to pull them out. And I should be part of a PSA on telling people not to pursue a life in the arts. And I'm just screaming like, why didn't I just pick them up before I started? <laughs> and I ended up, I ended up dragging my, my vacuum cleaner around the corner to a vacuum repair person and I... Walked in and said, I've had a camp accident. <laughs> and they were like, 10 pegs? And you were like, no. <laughs> and he said, oh, you need a special piece of machinery for that that only I have. And I said, but why can't I just take my vacuum cleaner apart and pull? It's just in the hose. And he's like, no, there's a, that's how I've designed it. You have to have a special thing. Of course it is. So I went away and I came back and he said, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. He didn't have any bad news at all. He'd rescued my tights. Mm. And probably the bad news was it cost me about 20 bucks to get them out or something like that. Oh, did he even charge me? He might not have even charged me because then he proceeded to show me all these pictures of his daughter and his son who are champion ballroom dancers. Well, he's had this one before. Oh, probably because yeah, that's he, a good guy. He was a good guy. <laughs> and so he's like, "Oh, so you you're a dancer?" And I was like, "No, I know. Like, well, I'm, I'm a mover, but uh, a <laughs> I smart don't, mover. I don't dance." Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was just. It was this really odd connection <laughs> moment. All because an hour prior, I was in floods of tears, sitting on the rim of my kitchen. Um, Do you know that's a life hack that I've read for? Because I'm obsessed. I'm on the internet all the time. Yes. Um, where if you lose like an earring back on the floor or something like small that you want to try and find, you put pantyhose, you put stockings uh, over the head of the vacuum, cleaner, the vacuum cleaner and then you just like suck around. I did a weird fisting motion with my arm. It was but great. You... I enjoyed it. Because <laughs> it doesn't go in and then you find it. Anyway. I did a weird go. fisting motion with my arm because it doesn't go in. I'm just going to edit that bit no, out. No, that should be the tag. No, that should be the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's my sound Just bite. that and me saying um 32 times. <laughs> Solid gold. Talking about a transition. 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 Transition.
Well, do you have, apart from Gone with the Wind, do you have a book that you read and just went, oh, my goodness, that's amazing? Um, I Formative book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got really, um, let's say obsessed. Let's call it this time. Sure. You with, said it. Um, uh, Justine Garda when I was at high school. So I read Sophie's World. So he's this Norwegian writer, very kind of um, philosophical, I guess, in tone. Sophie's mm. World is basically a history of philosophy. You'd really like it, I think. Oh. Um, sandwiched up between this story of this girl, this Norwegian girl. But my actual favourite of his is you said Snorwegian. Snorwegian. <laughs> Am I right, guys? <laughs> um, take that, Norway. Snorway. Norway's beautiful. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah. I'm listening. I'm writing it down. Uh, Sophie's Word. Yeah, yeah. And also The Solitaire Mystery is my favourite, favourite book, which is a story about um, – it's also by Justine Gardner and it's about a boy and his dad who go on this kind of – road trip through Europe to find his mother and then there's like a book within a book within a book. It's got a whole lot of stuff about a deck of cards. It's amazing. What era? Um, Oh, God, I don't know. Probably just like early 90s, I guess. The other book that I'm most recently obsessed with Mm -hmm. is um, Dress Memory by Lorelai Vashti. Do you know her? She would be in some of the Women Alertas stuff. She's... She's from she's from Melbourne via Brisbane, as am I, so that's why I like her. And she started this – she's this amazing collection of clothes. She started this blog a couple of years ago where um, she would pick something out from her wardrobe. She would get a kind of – she would do a photo shoot in it. Oh. Stunning, beautiful red-headed woman. And then she would kind Thank of write you. a piece of – Just kidding. Like yourself. She's <laughs> <Just> uh, <laughs> seeing me in my rolled-out-of-bed clothes. <laughs> but she would write this kind of beautiful, like, prose kind of narrative about – you know, where the dress came from and how she came to own it and why she keeps it. And then she expanded them all into this book called Dress Memory and it is just the most beautiful. I Oh, man. I have it's very it. rare for me to actually cry at a book where, like at a sentence, there's a beautiful, beautiful sentence halfway through where she's talking about she had lived in this share house and it didn't work out and she ends up, maybe she ends up back at home, I can't remember. And she says, it's not that I wanted the old times back, it's just that I wanted them to have meant something. Yeah. Every time I'm just, because I'm just, just crazy nostalgic, just floods of tears. I love it. It's yeah, such a good it's book. quite lovely. The, uh, the first book that made me cry, um, God, I'm going to sound like I'm so stuffy compared to Black yours. Beauty. No, <laughs> no, it was The Mayor of Casterbridge. Oh, by, I've never read that. By Thomas Hardy, mm. not the actor. The writer, good, as in um, Jude the Obscure and that sort of thing. Um, it's look, he's dense. He's a dense writer, but but it's a, it. The book opens with this incredible chapter about a man who's on his way to some kind of farmer's market and he's not well off and he has his wife with him and they're fighting and they're fighting and and they get into an argument and he threatens to sell her. Like, again, this is something that would be a bit difficult to try to do a modern adaptation sure. of, right? Threatens to sell her. Yeah. And she goes, go ahead then. You go, just do it. If you do it, I'm, I'm serious. I'm going. And so he does. He goes, it sort of puts this weird bid up for her and somebody bids and she goes, well, I'm going with that guy then. Not in a slavery kind of a way, but just like she's like, well, you can't make these idle threats like that. I'm leaving. And he was dissolute and he was a drunkard at the start of the book. And then he... um. He regrets his actions and he betters himself to the point where he becomes the mayor of Casterbridge. Mm-hmm. And then she comes back. And and the, the, then the meat of the book begins. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's just the setup for it. But but just 
this man, this person, let's say person, because that's the other thing we forget when we start over-gendering things is, mm. that, is the complexity of the characters is, is all, the perspective is, is a different thing now. So, again, Lolita doesn't seem complex as a character to some people because you don't get to hear her voice, but that's the fault of that first-person thing, which is a choice. But the people in Casterbridge are well-fleshed out, male or female, but the point of the, the baby cry is this person... Just, just amount of regret that he had. The, the how he didn't feel like he, the remorse for his actions for that mm. person that he was, and and his attempts to try to make himself better, are moving. And and that's oh, they're the stories that are really great. And that's why I didn't like Catcher in the Rye. I hated Catcher in the oh, Rye. Oh, I love Catcher in the Rye. Oh, see, okay, why? Because to me, it's really male. Oh, it's huge amount, but I read it when I was you Teenage know, 16. Male. So I just kind of Have you reread it now? No, I haven't. I probably should. Yeah, I reckon you should because you know what? My my eldest brother recommended two books to me when I was about 16. One of them was um The Loved One by mm-hmm. Ewan War, which is still one of my favorite books ever. And again, people would read it now and have, find it very problematic because Amy's not a very well-rounded character and but she is. She she kind of has the dignity to her as well. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> um and the other one was The Outsider. Okay. Camus. And I thought that was so interesting. And, of course, because, you know, The Cure had written that, that song, Killing an Arab, that's the name of a song, people, and it's based on a scene that happens in The Outsider. I reread it in my 20s, maybe 30s, mm. and went, oh, Christ. Stop. Oh, you're so fucking boring. It's just this man just whinging about everything and his existential crisis, and I just found it so dull. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not a great book or an important book. I just went, I don't know what I saw in this. Yeah. I think I liked it because I, I liked... You're talking about Catcher in the, the Rye. It was sort of kind of nice after, you know, a lot of years of reading young adult fiction. <laughs> it was sort of nice to read a book where you were like, the protagonist is a jerk. He is a jerk. I am aware that he's a jerk, and he's just... It's just this just selfish, wafting around, making a mess of things, just thinking he's a cool guy, trying so hard to be a cool guy and not yeah. not succeeding that I sort of, I suppose I liked knowing that people like that existed and that you didn't have to be. You could avoid them? <laughs> but no, but that you didn't have to be like cool or like stunningly beautiful to be the centre of a story, that like a, yeah. like a normal shitty person could yeah. be the focus. Yeah. And he's really, he's so arrogant and he's so angry at everybody. Yeah. And you're going, what? sorry, why again? Yeah. Um, but that's still a story. Yeah. And that it meant that I was glad I read it, but I don't think I'll read it again. I still own it yeah. somewhere, but I don't think I'll read it again. Whereas I, the person who recommended it to me was, mm. was a woman. It's one of her favourite books and she's a little bit older than me and I've always had a huge amount of respect for her. And so I gave her a copy of Washington Square by Henry James, which is a short novel, um, American. Uh, Henry James wrote Portrait of a Lady. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love that book. Mm. And, and it's about an heiress who, I think her name is Catherine Sloan or something. Anyway, and, and she... Had a very beautiful mother who, whom her father loved very, very much, beautiful, talented, educated, intelligent, who died in childbirth and the daughter was plain and a little dim-witted and very pleasant and nice and loved her father and was dutiful to her father but his, mm. her father resented her because she survived yep. and his beautiful wife died. And then because she's an heiress, she it was made into the film called The Heiress, I think, um, she, she's actually got this, she's got, <laughs> she's got a really garish taste in clothes so she Great. spends money on 
really hideous kind of things, um, but she feels really beautiful in them. And, of course, she gets chased by uh, a, a rake, basically. Yeah. Some rake sort of comes in and starts flattering about this, that and the other. She's got a spinster auntie who reads too many romance novels. Great. Who... Loves the intrigue of it, so starts kind of. Jordan Quinn is now making a gesture best described as fluttering. Well, just no, because for a visual, because it's totally Maggie Smith, like in a bonnet, kind of fluttering yeah. around and and organising these clandestine. Yeah, you know, she she'd meet him in an oyster house downtown, oh, wearing far too many veils, and he's like, yep. "What the hell? What does this mean?" Um, and her father is cruel to her. It's really really cruel to her, and. And this friend of mine hated the book because she hated the way that women were portrayed. And I, th- and I was like, I I see nothing but strength in Catherine because she's the mm. one who's got – she's stronger than her father because she can forgive him for what he's done even mm. though she's not the smartest and she's not the most beautiful. She comes – she's the only one who comes out of the end of that book with dignity. Mm. And that, that that friend of mine didn't see that. I found it a little disappointing. It's like the, the 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 protagonist in that book doesn't need to be smart or beautiful or because she's not. Yeah. But her goodness, she's good. Yeah. And that is what made her the most worthy character in the entire in the entire novel for me. I think her father does. I think after he read it, but I think towards the end he does kind of realise he's been quite he's been quite cruel to her. Yeah. Um. But she's living in a society where her money is the most important thing. Yeah, people are chasing her for her money, and and then the, but it's got the really human, the really universal topic of of um, a parent and a child's relationship, mm. and that those sorts of resentments can and it's born of grief. You know, it's not just an idle. It's not just an, a slight, I just decided yeah. not to like you. <laughs> like it's coming from the pain of him losing his wife. Yeah, it's not excusable because of that, but it's coming from a complicated human place. place. Yeah. But yeah, no, no idea. I really thought she'd she'd love it, and I just got it completely wrong. But I have a number. This is something really interesting to me. I have a number of friends that don't love Girls, the TV series, as much as I love it. I've not seen it. I have to say, I love it because they're all flawed, so flawed. Yeah, and I think this is something really interesting to me is that we're you know we're living in this golden age of television. Um, mm. But so many of the central protagonists are these incredibly flawed, messy, messy people. Shitty people. And for me, I find something really satisfying in that. I also understand, you know, that a lot of art is about escapism and getting away from your life. So I can understand someone going, I don't want to watch someone. You know, then watch the big bang some theory decisions. or yeah, something. Exactly. You know? But I think this is why, like, I live in a constant state between things like Girls or I'm watching Aziz Ansari's new series, which is great. Um, but then, like, I also just love my period dramas. Like, I just, I don't know, you, li- you like to have this balance of kind of going, this is what I'm watching because I want to get away from my life, and this is what I'm watching because I want to feel okay about my life. Well, think about golden era musicals on film, you yeah. know. I mean, that's pure Absolutely. entertainment. There's still plenty of heart and skill and everything else in there, but, like, it's about the, you know, jazz hands and the the shininess of it. And, yeah. Uh, and sometimes they give you a punch in the gut as well, like yeah. Sweet Charity or something like that, which is, you know, it's a great musical and it's an extraordinary film, but it's a, it's dreadfully sad. That's mm. dreadfully sad. Well, this is one of my other favourite favorite authors is F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh. I love – F. Scott Fitzgerald is someone who I have most of the books and yeah. I – Oh, my God, you have the same copy as me. I need to read more. 
Oh my gosh. My favourite short story of all time. I've got the last tycoon and I've got two copies is, of the great I don't have this one. My uh, favourite short story of all time is an F. Scott Fitzgerald short story called The Offshore Pirate. I think that's the one he was. Didn't he die before that was finished? I don't know. I think the last tycoon was the one he died before he was finished. There's one that I was actually reading about just yesterday, mm-hmm. um, which is the last one he finished before he died. I don't know. Tender is the Night. Beautiful yes. and Damned. Tender is yep. the Night. And I have not read that. And I haven't read Gatsby for years. I love Gatsby. I love – Geraldine Quinn has the copy with the old film version with Mia Farrow and Robert Redford. Yeah. It is so good. I did not enjoy <laughs> the remake. I, do you know what? I liked everyone except I thought Leonardo DiCaprio was hugely miscast. We were having a discussion about Leonardo DiCaprio the other day because I, 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 I mean, was watching – I when are we not? No, no, no. Django and um, Unchained. I was watching that oh, again. So and great. a friend of mine was sort of saying, it's about time they cast Leonardo DiCaprio right. Like they got him in a, a character role and he was such he was a so bastard. Good. It was, I've never been. I've never been in a movie theatre and been so conscious of enjoying a film so much as I was watching it. Hey, I loved that movie. Yeah, I really did. It took me a, a few years to get around to watching it. Yeah. I watched it quite recently and I did love it. It is Christoph Waltz's film. Oh, it's, my God. It's He's his amazing. film. Like as much yeah. as you know, all, the, all the racial complications and the commentary that has ensued, it, it is his film. Yeah. Um, not because nobody else was in, you know, it's just that the story's completely driven by by Schultz and and mm. he was fucking amazing. He was great. But, yeah, Leo in Great Gatsby, I just felt he was so, he was sort of bulky. He's supposed to look so, like Daisy says in the book, you always look so cool, you always look so well, well put together. A, he's got that little round little face, little fat face. Well, he, to me, he <laughs> and Joel Edgerton were too similar. I was like, it doesn't make any sense that this woman's in love with a man who's... Yeah. As much like her husband. I don't know. Yeah. I just want him to be dapper. I just want him to be so, and not like not quite androgynous, but sort of in that, in the way that if we saw a man that was that well dressed now, we'd be like, you are maybe gay. You know, you're a dandy. Yeah. Mm, um, It's, it's interesting. That's the same conversation we're having about, about um, the Anna Karenina thing, about choosing a, a, a type for those romantic – when somebody's mm. being dragged away by their heart or their loins and or any combination of the two. Yeah. When, I said, did you just say combination then, but we'll move on. <laughs> Combloination. Combloination. You're putting the loins in there. And, um, <laughs> but when they are, the there's got to be a lot of care when you're doing an adaptation, I think, in terms of how you represent that in a modern sense. Mm. So what you may think is – well, every, every person thinks that this is the ideal of beauty because maybe we've got f- – Maybe we've got more ideals of beauty or few. I don't know. But mm. but it's got to kind of – the stakes have got to be right. The yeah. stakes have got to be the, the right level. Otherwise, we don't get any of the drama out of everything that person can lose by choosing to go yeah. elsewhere. And that's – I mean, that's a really interesting point if they looked so similar. I haven't seen the new one mm. because – the point of difference that, oh, you're – I mean, this is why people have affairs. It's just, just something else. It's something yeah. different. Yeah. I mean, that's – I mean, there's got to be an underlying unhappiness to begin with, but then it's just something – I mean, how many times have you seen it in telly plays or in life when people just go, well, why did you do it? Why did you cheat? And they say, well, it was just – it was different. Yep. She, she or he was someone different. Because they get so locked up in this sense of, oh, I'm stuck in a place. Mm. And when we're 16 and we're reading loads of stuff and we're going, I can be anything. And I'd never mm. thought about that till you said it, that idea of I can 
sort of shift. I can shape shift when I'm reading. I never thought about it till five a.m. this morning when I was also reading that article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it does. You read, and even things that I read that were from different cultures and different backgrounds and different and different genders and these kinds of things and ages, you know, across this whole range. Yeah, that you, in a lot of ways, you settle into. And for me now, I put a very big focus on because I don't have a lot of time to read or I don't make a lot of time to read is probably more the case is I'm always reading something that I feel like applies to my work. That's right. As much as I'm always willing to diminish the actual amount that I work because <laughs> I'm very lucky You've, to do this you job. You have said that you were a master procrastinator. I am, like, like nothing else, <laughs> like out of control. Isn't that normal? I mean, that does actually make me feel better that you said that because I cannot oh, think the last time I sat down and properly went, right, I've got to write something and I have to do it soon. Yeah. And and I know you're really good at forcing yourself to you, – No, you do I'm more. terrible at it. You, do you do the scream to the deadline as well? I am – okay, do you know what? So what is the date today? It's like the 21st? First. Yeah. So Christmas happens, so let's discount this week. My show opens in Perth on February 3rd. You've got heaps of time. So much time. You haven't got that much time. I was so, I was so <laughs> panicked. And then Matt, my boyfriend goes to me, who's going to work one day, and he's like, okay, today, he's like, this is all you have to do is just write five minutes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But then in my head, writing five minutes of material is okay, but writing a song is this huge task. Which is very silly. Yeah, no, you just got to bash at the wall until yeah. you get something. And, yeah. and, and it's so fucking annoying bashing at that wall that it's very easy to put mm. off. Once you've done it, once you've made a crack, it's mm. like, oh, cool, I can sit with this, keep, I can yeah, work yeah, on this. I can but keep digging, yeah. That's why, that's why my keyboard is currently a, a shelf. Yeah. It's got things on it <laughs> because I've just got to. And I had to clean up when Jude came over for the podcast. I had to clean up. And clean just, up for Jude. Okay, well, no, great. This is clean. This is clean. <laughs> okay, well, then I, now I feel bad. But, but the point was I was like I've got to do it anyway because I'm not writing because I no, can't I get can't to write the keyboard. It's not, but also I can't write if it's not clean sometimes. You've so got a there's song about procrastinating, like, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, that website, waitbutwhy.com, yeah. the most amazing article on procrastination I have ever Ugh. read in my life. Just. I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to send it to you straight after this and don't let me forget because it's the most perfect description. It just, for me, I was like, oh, thank you for actually explaining what my problem is in a way that I can understand. I remember reading somewhere and I really hope I'm not misremembering this because I do Mm. like to be able to cite my sources, but in this case I can't because it was so many years ago. But I do remember reading somewhere that Chekhov, Anton, um, hated, hated writing and used to make mm. himself sit in a corner with the, with the desk up against the wall so that he couldn't, he just had to sit down and do it. Like he had, had to prescribe himself time. Yeah. And when you're sitting there going, okay, that's the guy that wrote The Cherry Orchard and all those wonderful short stories. I mean, to be fair, lots of them are very depressing, so. Oh, Cherry Orchard, <laughs> Uncle Vanya is very funny. Have you read any of his, have you read his short stories? I have, yeah. Oh. I have read some of the, sh- and they're, they're the things that I can handle. But at drama school, it's always like second yeah. year actors doing the, yeah. And I'm just like, okay, for a long time, my understanding of Chekhov was this. The play begins, everyone is miserable, then everything gets worse. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't know if to- and Ibsen is a bit the same for me where yeah. I'm like, guys, I, just, I don't know if I have the energy for this right now. <laughs> like, I'm 22, like, I need to be working on my performance track. It's time for a break, that means we're in the middle. I think Chekhov's short stories are, are, are a, yeah. good, a good way into Have it. you read The Bear? Oh, I must have done. It's a – no, no, not The Bear. Uh, maybe it's called The Bear or it's called The Proposal. It's a three-hander. 
It's like a the dad and his daughter and the young man comes to propose. We did it at, at high school. Oh, it's a, this is a play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a short, very short play. I'm sure I have, but gosh, it would have been a long time ago. It's very funny. I remember it being very... Someone gets mistaken for a bear. Oh, the laughs, the drapes. <laughs> I think Chekhov's quite funny. But, um, but yeah, some of the... Some of it's bleak. Well, the thing that's is... That's so funny, that whole attitude to hating writing, because I'm trying to break myself of that habit. I listened to this great podcast with... Um, Nobody likes writing. Nobody likes to sit down and write. No, but we also, we also get into this mindset of going... Like this, did you see what I did before? Where you were like, are you writing at the moment? And I was like, yes. Yeah, your whole body just sank. <laughs> like just, and I'm, this is the show where I was like, I'm not going to be like this. I'm going to try and enjoy my job and try and like, it's play. It's so fun that I get to do this. Yeah, but yeah. No, it is. I don't think there's any problem with going, it's, it's hard to start. Yes. You know what? It's hard to start. Once you're in mm. it, you're fine. It's hard to start. And, it, but it's, um, it's. Yeah, I was talking about this to, to, again, the same friend that I had a big conversation with this friend the other night about all this, about Leonardo DiCaprio, Di, Di, DiCaprio's casting and, mm. and, and the grey areas of life and all that sort of stuff. But, um, <laughs> but one thing I kind of said to him was when you, even when it's really hard and you don't know what you're going to do, you, you, can, you have the power to make something out of nothing. And that's why I should read, keep reading. When I get really stuck, it's like, well, read something. Yeah. Watch something you haven't watched before. See something different. Yep. Um, because then I can say, I can make a thing out of nothing. Yeah. I've just got to start it. Yes. Yeah. And that, so that's my counteraction to that feeling. My problem, I think, is that I get so hung up on the, the final product and looking at the big picture that I find it hard to concentrate on the small thing, you know, and I kind of go, this is my trouble, is that I get... Anxious and panicky because I'm like, oh my god, I have to make this thing. It has to be great. It has to be, it has to be like funny, but also it, maybe it should make people cry and it should make people think about something. But also it should be really entertaining and maybe there should be like a physical theater. Maybe there should be like a big costume show. And puppets, then I puppets, let's get puppets, 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 puppets. puppets. <laughs> and then you know, and I will have Matt will talk me down and he'll be like, okay, remember that this is a show for a fringe festival and it doesn't. You don't need to stress about this because if it doesn't work, you'll just do something else. But I can't stop. At that point of going, great, I don't need to stress. I keep going, yeah, I don't need to stress. It's not that important. In fact, none of this is important. In fact, what, is, what does my job do that makes the world better? The world doesn't need my job. And I just spiral all the way down. <laughs> and I listened to this great, um, great podcast with Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. But she's written a lot of um, stuff about creativity, which is really interesting. And she talks about how she finds it very frustrating. A lot of writers going, you know, writing is like you just open a vein and the words pour out mm. that kind of very bleak, um, attitude. And she, to counteract that, she was like, what we do is, is like, and I've said this so many times in the last couple of months, cause I'm obsessed with it. She's like, what we do. And she's paraphrasing Tom Waits. I think she just goes, our job, it's jewelry for the inside of people's heads. Oh, that's lovely. That's what, and it's really nice to just be like, no, nobody needs this. The world doesn't, necessarily need this but to the person that means something that to whom it means something do you really it's really great do you really actually doubt that people need this sort of work or just or just from you no absolutely not always but I see I can I can think of amazing shows and amazing art that I've seen that I love that has stayed with me that has taught me something or made me question something or that I've just really found very funny or very enjoyable But also I see so much stuff that I'm like, this is so selfish and pointless and 
I guess for me, feel, there's definitely a feeling that, um, particularly in a field like cabaret, where everything is so varied and there is an attitude certainly among a lot of drama school graduates that it's like, I'm not in a musical, I'll just make a cabaret. Yeah, that's... People love to hear about my life <laughs> because I teach a lot of those kids and all the time I have to go, hey, the first two rules of a cabaret are this. When you come on stage, no one likes you and no one cares about your problems. Your job is to make them like you by being funny or, you know, presenting something that is beautiful or interesting or noteworthy or just entertaining. But you can't just come out and go, it's been really hard for me. Like, it's just been really difficult because my parents live in another city and, you know, just that kind of stuff. It's about... I guess finding the universality of it and so that's when I get this is very this is a lot but when I get very bleak about it is when I think about people that will go and see one or two shows like that and go I don't don't like this whole genre I'm out that's right that's absolutely right and that's that's a problem that we have all all the time which I think is why I'm so incredibly hard on myself as well because I don't I don't want to be that show no, I know, but I mean, I mean, Mark Jones worked with me early on, and used to always say, well, "What are you trying to say?" Yeah, just clarity. What are you trying to say? Absolutely. And I and I have, and it was hard to sort of go. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll figure it out, and then keep writing. I'm writing. This is my first time writing a show to a theme. With a theme. Like before, I would just be like, "Well, these songs? are the songs, yeah. and I'll like connect them like this." And then, and to me, the theme would emerge, and by the end, I'd be like, "Oh, this is clearly what the throughline is." Yeah. And eventually when you start having to talk about the show for, you know, press and things like that, it's you start to make sense of it. But this time I'm like, yeah, that's what the show is about. And then kind of going, fuck, how am I going to actually – What am is the show about? Uh, it's called To the Moon and Back. So it's about uh, – it's set, the central theme really is about fear of the future. Um, but it's about space. It's maybe about marriage. I don't know. I've got five weeks to write it. <laughs> I've got five weeks till the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Fear of the future, why? Oh, because the world is a mess. So, oh, okay. Yeah, and but I mean, I guess it's about fear of the future on a in like a global way. Like I'm terrified of the apocalypse, kind of. Way. Yes, absolutely. Like and kind of the central idea of the reason the show became this is because I had a fight with my boyfriend, the dumbest, best fight ever, where uh, we're talking about space because we went to see Gravity at the movies. And I just about had a panic attack. I felt so claustrophobic. I felt so terrified. And the movie finished and he was like, wasn't that great? Don't you want to go to space? And I was like, no, I feel like the central theme of this film is don't go to space. Only bad things happen to you there. Um, This is why I'm having nightmares about space at the moment. Because um, outer space, not like storage space. My mom was really confused when I explained it to her. Um, (laughs) So we're practising your pitch. Yeah, we're practicing. Hey guys, would you watch? The, would you buy tickets? Please write in. Um, so it's about that on like a you know fear of the future on a global scale in terms of things like um, climate change. The only song that I've written so far for the show is about climate change. It's very depressing, but also very fun. Um, it's fine. It's fine. It's great. It's fine. Um, things like robots. These kinds of things. Things that we robots. used to. No, but really think about this. We used to. Um, we're so used to talking about things like artificial intelligence and robots and Mars exploration in this very far off distant 
science fiction realm when all these things are they're not just very close they're actively happening in a lot of ways I watched this great video the other day of this robot in is in Japan yeah I think I know the one you're talking about uh where they're teaching this robot to disobey orders yes yeah and so and the reason they're teaching a robot to disobey is things like for human safety so they put the robot on a table and they're like walk forwards like to the edge of the table and the robot goes I cannot it is not safe Uh. and so it's in terms of things like if you give a robot one task and the robot's job is to keep doing that task at all costs a great example I read is like this robot has to um print out whatever this one sheet it just has to keep printing it out and printing it out but because nobody gives a command to stop that it just keeps printing and printing and printing and the building fills with paper and the building catches on fire and the whole world catches on fire yeah so you know giving a robot sense to understand um when when something is logical and when it you know should and shouldn't happen that's terrifying to me those kinds of things i just are you scared of 3D printers as well? I'm scared of 3D printers. Okay. <laughs> Might be I'm something not in that. <laughs> you scared? I even thought about it. Yeah. Uncanny Valley. I don't know what that is. What's oh, that mean? That, when, that, that, that point when something is a little bit too human-like but isn't mm. quite human-like enough and it gives us a really weird feeling mm. when you're going, oh, that robot's a little bit too real yeah but but not quite real enough so you know something's it's that kind of creepy feeling that you get something's a little bit wrong mm. and with its human uh, um projection of its human sort of shape you yeah. sort of go uh, what yeah sometimes it's better for things to look not as much like humans so that they don't freak us out in that weird way yeah but even just the simple ways in which like the the human workforce is about to be drastically reduced in even the next 20 to 50 years. It already is. My, <laughs> it's already happening. My older brother has a thing where he will not use the self-serve checkout at like at the shops I because know. he's like, that is a robot taking a human's job. And the argument that a lot of people give to this is that if we're if this technology is increasing, then there will be a whole new sector of jobs um, that are in this realm. But the notion that, you know, Bloody, like, check Tiffany, out. the checkout chick, chick is yeah. going to be qualified to discuss, like, the science of, I don't know, solar well, energy. You could tell the story about Tiffany, the checkout chick, and how she has to, re, you know, upskill and becomes then an overlord of humanity yeah. or something. <laughs> you know? so That's a so, really good idea. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so if, <laughs> if you keep using these self-service checkouts, you're, we're, we're going to end up with Tiffany, the overlord, Who's going to destroy us all with, I don't know, stonewashed denim or something. Maybe don't do put that in because that's that's <laughs> probably a little bit classist. But I'm from Dandenong, so who cares? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, like, just okay. I'll, I'll um, Just pause while I write this down. Yeah, don't, I'll make sure it's in the podcast so everybody knows that I thought of it yeah, first. Yeah, great, good. I'll I won't write it. But... a huge cut of my massive royalty <laughs> check. You get three you times as much as 12 me. cents. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so you got you can tell a story about something very small becoming something overblown, yeah, in a completely extreme way. But you, we're, like we're reaching a point where we may not have where work may not be a thing that some that people we, do anymore. But we need to do it. I've been unemployed for three years. Yesterday, mm. this is this is my it's my anniversary. Thanks. Um, I hate it. Yeah, I hate. I hate being on Centrelink. I hate. But do you? But do you also think that part of the reason you hate it is because we're socially conditioned to believe that you should work? No, I be. Purpose. I I would quite like to have a thing that I could do to earn money that was different to what I do to earn money. What? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, like mm. just because also because it keeps me plugged in. It's like when comedians get successful enough and then suddenly all of their material seems about, to be about hotel rooms and well, airplane food. And two years hospitality clean yeah. this October. <laughs> I haven't worked in hospitality and I. It's a very strange thing because you can't, like initially this show I was thinking about writing a lot of it about marriage because I had never been somebody that was very focused on the idea of, you know, getting married and having kids. A lot I was of like, unhappy marriages in the world. Well, I guess so. But also along. weirdly not in my close spectrum. Like my parents are very happily married. Oh, I guess my brother. But, you know, these things where I was like I have a lot of great examples of good relationships there's not a lot of reasons why I should feel like this and I was like and now I'm with someone who I love very much and this is the first time that I've been able to envisage that and I was like maybe I'll write about this and I was like no you cannot make a show about I didn't want to get married but my boyfriend's so great oh poor me yeah because that is a terrible terrible selfish show yeah you know (laughs) but when, when you don't have a shitty job suddenly you lose that I mean, all all your things, everything that's happening to you is a weird fishnet story, or it's about a gig, or a hotel, or an, or airplane food. So yeah, it's. I think it's good for people to have another job, and that's why I enjoy all my teaching work and all my weird. Like I work as an accompanist, so I play for auditions yeah. and things like that. I wish I could do stuff. I wish I got stuff like that. Like just to be able to work with other people. It's when you're on your own all the time as well. You just get oh, really. It's the worst. But um, I don't want to hang out with me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But like I get, re- I filled in for somebody uh, teaching, and mm. I just was like, oh, I want to do this all the time. Somebody get me in to do this because I liked seeing people and going, oh, I want that to be, I want that to be better. All that bit that you did was really good, yeah. and and getting excited about people, and getting getting excited about people being excited. I don't know there's still people that are disengaged, and you've got to try to deal with that sort of stuff, and. And it's always hard when you're stepping in as well because they don't know you and you're kind of going, yeah, authority, but also don't know you guys. Mm. Not, and, um, I enjoy that though. I really I've done it once. I like it was it. the one time I've done it. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think I would get used to it. But it was a little element of that. But 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 I still get the occasional, very rarely, job interview where I get treated like shit. So that sort of keeps mm. my finger in. Keeps <laughs> <laughs> your finger in where? I mean fingers in pies. <laughs> Fingers in pies. Well. Oh, hand in, hand in, not finger. You put your, your whole my, hand in the pie. No my, wonder you're not getting my, the job. My, that keeps my fist in. Yeah. My mixed metaphors. Yeah, great. Very good. You <laughs> meant well. That's fine. And Centrelink is the, it's the worst. Like it's. No one likes being on it. It's, it's, people but I, when I went to uni and I first went on Centrelink when I was a student, I've never, it is the great equaliser. It just reduces you where it's like, you're not better than anyone. All people are exactly the same to us, except you're yeah. second in the queue and you're 42nd in the queue. Yeah. You know, you, it, I cried in so many Centrelink offices in Perth where yeah. people would be like, we don't have that information. I'd be like, I, I, sent you, I sent you all of this. Please, I have one packet of noodles left. Come on, guys, throw me a bone. You and know. you feel like you're a liar all the time. It's like when you get pulled yeah. over and you you haven't you know you haven't done anything wrong, but you still feel like I've got to check. I, I feel guilty. Yeah. Am I breaking a law that I don't know about? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, once I graduated uni, I got um, I got two hospitality jobs. I was working concurrently, and mm. I went to my Centrelink meeting, and I was like, they were like, "Do you have work?" And I was like, "Yeah, I've got two jobs." And they were like, "Oh." what are you doing? Are they full-time jobs? And I was like, no. And they're like, are they part-time? I was like, no, they're both casual jobs. And they were like, that doesn't count. And so I was like, well, I have, that's enough money for me to live on and I want to work casually so I can go to auditions and I can go to classes yeah. and I can go away to a, for a week and nobody minds. So it was really nice to call Centrelink and go, hello, 
how do I break up with you? <laughs> I would like to end this toxic relationship. I, I saw my job being advertised as an unpaid internship the other week. That oh was gosh. my job. And so that means that that's mostly a, a thing to do with money, that I'm not there anymore, you mm. know, because the, the job's there but they're not going to pay anyone to do it. Yeah. So, nah, fnub. <laughs> fnub. <laughs> So I'm very lucky that, you know, I can get it. I've had some fantastic gigs. It's like this year's probably more gigs than ever, but I still can't mm. quite live on it. I'll probably cut this out because it sounds a bit pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, that's the way it is. Yeah. You well, know? yeah. So, yeah, so the future. Mm. Um, is there one? Transition. Well, see, so the thing, you said you were scared of gravity. Not the actual physics thing, but the <laughs> film. <laughs> but that's like any um, that's like any boundary of the extreme, any horizon. Mm. Sort of, it's the edge of something um, well, where it can either be a very beautiful thing or very dangerous. A desert is the same. There's yeah. sort of it's op- for me. It's optimism, oh, pessimism. Such a huge part of it, uh, which is very binary, which is very black and white. When the world is mostly grey, because I look at that, and this is the fight we had, is that Matt was like, if space travel becomes legitimate in our lifetime, I'm going to space. And I am not going to space. And most people are very staunchly one side of this or the other. Do you want to go to space? Are you no. going to space? No, of course not. I don't even want to go into a high building yeah. sometimes. <laughs> but then when I, when I work back from this, because my brain goes... I don't feel like we should go to Mars when this planet is such a mess. Like, why are we not fixing this up? But I would have been somebody living in, you know, a colonial country going, guys, why are you sailing around the world? We don't need to go to... We've got this country, you know. So I'm very fascinated by whether explorers are people who are, by their nature, optimistic or just braver or what it is yeah it's money though a lot of that was money a lot of that was about furthering the empire and getting rewards i mean those are issues as well i don't think it was yeah. we're gonna they didn't know what they were gonna find didn't columbus no. just bump into america like the, i think it was i think money and kudos had a lot to do with it rather than the, with the good of humanity yeah that's good i haven't considered that empires but I, talk, I was talking to my parents about this last week because i went down to their house to work and just shut myself into a room and um we were talking about uh Australian explorers and one of the stories that I love that I think is so sad and weird is that a lot of um, early Australian explorers had this idea that there the must inland be inland sea. sea and they would drag these boats into the desert and they would die with the boats and you would just find these like just bodies and these wooden boats and dead horses but my mum just goes to me yeah but how great if they had been right and I was like well I hadn't considered that because there's something in explorers I reckon there's something in explorers just this notion of exploration that I don't, I don't know if I feel like I have it in me. Are they good female explorers? Maybe you could, maybe I don't you know. could make a comment on that. Hang on, I think I have an interesting book. I'm not sure I'll loan it to you because oh I'm not good at loaning things, but um, <laughs> I don't because I forget people have got them and I never get them back. Um, here's another life hack: while you go to get oh, a yeah, book, yeah. this is one of my favorite ones. Is when you loan somebody something, yes. you should take a picture of them holding it oh. on your phone. And then they're accountable and you can go back and you can be like, I know you have my copy of Eating Animals by Jonathan Savrafoa um, and I would like it back because I'm trying really hard to be a vegetarian and it's really hard and I feel like this book will help me. All right. This is one you can look up or find in a library. Okay, great. Oh, great. So Marion Alice Rowan, never even heard of her. I've just given Gillian a book called Venus in Transit. 
um, which is about Australian female explorers, which was given to me by my sister-in-law and I have not read yet. Sorry, Joe, I got it like years ago too. But I, do, I am interested in reading it. So you might be able to, you know what, I don't, I don't want oh, to do it. Oh, man, this is so good. I don't want you to do like another gender thing, but you might be able to play with the inland sea idea, which is, yeah, is a fascinating thing. And compare it to some female travellers. A disconsolate widow. Imagine being <laughs> described as a disconsolate widow. I'm not even sure if I know what disconsolate means now that I think about no. it. It makes me think of inconsolable, but that can't yeah, be right. but also like of incontinent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Just a sad, sad widow <laughs> who might shit herself while she's exploring for the inland sea. That's what my show is about. Come and see it. Come and see <laughs> We should probably wrap up Locking anyway. Yeah. yeah, I have to do things. <laughs> I have to. I have to curl my hair. I'm going to go home and dye my hair. So it's a big Why? day for both of us. Why? Just want a little touch up. Just want to zhuzh. <laughs> Got a gig tonight. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you for the angry online book club. Uh, it's been great conversation. We've Jilly, talked about many things. Julian Cosgrove. We have mostly books. Um, good luck writing the new show. Thank you. I want to see that song. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Some of my best ideas have never, ever been able to be cobbled into a song. Yeah. I've beaten them and beaten them and the metal just won't bend. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, that's not how you play guitar either. So. No, your guitars are all broken. <laughs> broken. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, good luck in 2016. Thanks, mate. Likewise. Bye. Bye. Jane Austen, Beckett, Shakespeare, Chekhov, Carol Churchill, Alma de Joanna Murray-Smith, Dorothy Hewitt, Justin Gardner, Jennifer Egan, Lorelei Vashti, Thomas Hardy, uh, Evelyn Waugh, Albert Camus, uh, Henry James, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Elizabeth Gilbert, and Tom Waits, Tom Waits, they're all the people we talked about. Oh my God, so many books. Oh no, this Lolita thing keeps going. Oh no. Oh, for fuck's sake. Just leave it. Don't fight people on the internet. No good ever comes from it. When has anyone ever changed your mind about something on the internet? Has that ever happened? I just don't know if it's within the realms of possibility. Maybe you could write a song about this ridiculous conversation. I was going to write a song about internet wars. Because they escalate to a point and it's like, my opinion, my opinion, pretending to get along until the the ultimate ending of it is when someone goes, that's what Hitler would have said and then that's the end of all arguments. Yeah, well, she's brought up Uncle Tom's cabin so she's not far off. You can Hitler this. You can end it, Jordan. (laughs) You can end it now. I'm just not going to respond. That's probably a good idea. Am I? I don't I don't think every side should be represented in every book but it needs to be acknowledged that two different people read the same book differently and not even Lolita can escape that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Just right. That's what I'm saying. Great chat. Thanks. Bye. Bye forever. It's <laughs> <sighs> been a real ordeal for you, mate. Yeah. My auntie fights people on the internet. It's hard to watch. Okay. <laughs> you look so stressed. Do I? Yes. I, I wonder, yeah, I think this is enough. Thanks, Kelly. But that sounds horrible, doesn't it? Just leave it. But I, it's so hard for me not to respond. All right, that's a different book, though. It's not that book. You can't have every side in every book. It. No, this is what I wrote, no, that's what I wrote before. You can't have every side in every book. See Jane Eyre and White's I guess I see, for example. Mm. And she's gone, I will look at that, thanks, but I don't quite understand what you mean by that's a different book. I just, she's just not reading what I'm writing.
And then she's just gone, I figure every reader brings their life experiences to interpreting whatever book they are reading, like my experience of reading Uncle Tom's Cabin. Like... This is just a very angry internet book club now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the AIBC. Hey, guys. Um, oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even remotely suggest that. All right, so I didn't suggest that. And uh, I, I don't think we're moving no. forward. I don't think we're... Going to understand each other. I know you don't want me to write anything. I don't. Want you to, I think you're making a terrible mistake. You think I'm making a terrible mistake? Well, I'm mistake. I think just. I always just. But I never fight anyone on the internet because I'm not fighting. I'm being really calm. I said, <laughs> all right. I've written. I didn't suggest that. Thanks, Kelly. Bye bye. <laughs> best, best, Geraldine. No, I'm not even gonna say bye. I'm just gonna say thanks. The oh, no, end. that's going to read like, thanks. I yeah. didn't even suggest that thanks. This is the trouble is you can't control tone. You can't control tone <sighs> on the internet or via text. I'll edit it. That's why most of the time I'm, no, don't edit it. Just leave it. Yeah. No. She can see your edit history. I know. 